This is my voice, my weapon of choice. Hello everybody, you are listening to IVS Radio, a podcast series on the migrant women experience. Brought to you by IVS, the international women's space. IVS has been a space for refugee women to come together and self-organize. We discuss, share, and exchange our stories, experiences, challenges, and struggles. We empower each other and empower ourselves to learn about and fight for our rights. Make sure to visit our website, iwspace.de, and subscribe to our podcasts. Hi, everybody. My name is Kia Kupfa, and today I'm joined by my compañera Jennifer Kamau. You are listening to IVS Radio, a podcast on the migrant women experience. And today, for our 10th program, we will talk about the externalization of the EU borders and the dirty deals the EU, and especially Germany, is making to keep externalizing the borders on one hand and also to make deportations easier on the other. And how these policies impact also the situation for migrants and refugees in Germany. To discuss these topics, we invited Christine David from Women in Exile and Sirin Bukadira from Watch the Met Alarm Phone. Welcome. So we want today to shatter this clean hands image of Germany that it wants to keep and sadly in reality is keeping as this upholder of human rights. Like the Federal Foreign Office, the Auswärtige Amt claims proudly on their website, human rights, a cornerstone of German foreign policy. But it is so clear that Germany is not outside or above the EU border politics that are killing people at the borders and on the Mediterranean. They're actually in the center of it. Germany continues to make deals with countries outside of Europe to make deportations easier and even during this pandemic and to further and further externalize the EU outer borders so that they can stop migrants from coming. From Libya to Turkey to Niger to Ethiopia. Germany is paying other countries to do the dirty work of curtailing migration and deporting migrants. They are outsourcing it more and more so that it isn't anymore about the situation in Germany or even the EU. And then on the other hand here in Germany, they are able or they are trying to wipe their hands clean of the violence in the asylum process by invisibilizing it by forcing refugees to stay in lagers that are mostly of most often in very isolated areas and through policies, policies like Residenzpflicht that criminalizes and denies people their freedom of movement. The border and migration policies inside and outside of Germany are going hand in hand. And today we want to have a conversation about this. To talk about how should we react to this and what have to be our strategies in terms of fighting these policies? Okay, I will start with you, Sirin. It is really great to have you here today. Um, yes, so maybe you can give a short introduction of you, yourself, and the work that um, the Alarm Fund does. And also, in the second episode of this radio, we had Hella on, also from the Alarm Fund. And this was in the summer, so it was also a different time. And she was also talking about how the COVID outbreak um, was a lot used an, as an excuse, especially by Italy and Malta, to lock down somehow. So, yes, maybe also you can talk how this situation changed or what has been going on since then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Sirin and I'm part of the Alarm Fund since the very beginning, so since more than five years now. Um, yeah, I live in Berlin since some time also, and um, I'm part of the Berlin uh, local um, team of the Alarm Phone. Um, yeah, I think very briefly. <laughs> um, yeah, about the situation with uh, Corona and the... Um, the border situation, I think, like it didn't get better, <laughs> and um, this excuse is used even more. Like in the, what we can see that in Italy, for example, they like migrants who arrive to Italy, they have to be in quarantine for two weeks, 
And for this, they have been completely isolated. Like they would be put into these big ferries, like in the water, and they have to stay like for at least two weeks. So they get tested and they stay there. And then they then after getting tested the second time, they can be transferred to the mm -hmm. centers on land. Um, and this is like there are now some voices raising against this in Italy and trying to stop this uh, complete isolation because after spending all this time at the sea and then you are quarantined on a boat with all these like um, be people being close together it doesn't make sense uh, also in the camps we see it in Greece where people are uh, locked down in camps where there is not even the minimum of uh, necessity, not enough water, not enough hygiene products, not enough food sometimes, and people are not allowed to go out. And when there is a suspicion of corona case, the people are completely even more isolated within the camp. And um, like we saw in the last months, the fire outbreaks in the camps in, in Greece and Yeah, the situation is really like on all the levels. For example, in Morocco, at the borders in the Western Mediterranean, people are struggling to even to eat because mm -hmm. they they have no access to jobs or to things that they used to have to be able to survive. And um, yeah, so it's I, in my opinion, it's getting worse and worse. Yeah. Okay. And can you maybe shortly also um, introduce the work that the Alarm Phone does? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the Alarm Phone is a, um, a network of, um, I think, around 200 people at this point. And it's a transnational network. It's um, organized all over Europe, North Africa. Like, it's a bit spread in different cities. I think I'm... Yeah, I, maybe I don't give a number, but more than 20 cities <laughs> like where we have groups and active members. Um, and we we are a hotline for people who are in distress at sea. So when people are in the boats and they need rescue, they can reach to our number and we establish contact with them. We stay in contact, we get their position and we inform the authorities that, that these people need to be rescued. We also, especially in these times, most of our work is to put pressure on these mm. authorities who refuse to act. Uh, we also document the cases and violations of human rights at sea. We also document like pushbacks and pullbacks and um, violence that's happening also at the borders. We also write a lot of reports that mm. could be like a very good resource for people um, to get informed about the situation. Yeah. That's how it works, and it's a 24-7 reachable um, hotline. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, so, yeah, like I said in the introduction, we want to talk about, um, yeah, the outside, like uh, outside of Germany and the further externalization, but also connected to the situation in Germany. And we know that Germany has been one of the main actors actually shaping the EU policies to externalize the EU borders and the tactics that push migrants back at the sea. So the Tats reported that at the Valletta summit in 2015, and I will quote, the EU tried to persuade over 300 African states to come to a kind of general agreement to ban um, on a ban on refugees. And to this end, it set up the EU Emergency Trust Fund for Africa. Um, so around uh, 4.6 billion euros have now flowed into this fund. And its development aid um, was wages for migrant control. So, um, but... I mean, this is one part for, for sure, but also not just the deals with the countries in Africa. So Germany also has made deals now with Albania and Montenegro the last year so that Frontex can have a presence there. And also they're trying to make similar deals with um, North Macedonia and Serbia. So also the Tagesschau, and I mention it because it's like one of the main outlets, 
um, also just released an investigation a couple of weeks ago showing that the German Bundespolizei, like the state police, maybe I would translate it, are actively involved in the illegal pushbacks that are happening at the borders of Greece, which, I mean, you know all along, you've been reporting all along, and we know also, but, I mean, it's mainstream media also, no? And the reaction was zero. <laughs> um, so, yeah, can you explain more about these politics um, of externalization and pushback, like how they look like and how it is happening and developing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure, like pushbacks have always been um, a technique that is used like since years and um, with the presence of Frontex and them like watching and even helping with it and working on it. And um, it has been scandalized many times already. But yeah, as you said, always no reaction or kind of saying, yeah, but that's how it is or that's right. how it should be. So the like this externalization policies like um, you can see it very clearly, for example, in North Africa and even like the like not just North Africa, like the borders of Europe start like mm. at the Sahara, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we have like our we call it our sister project, the Alarm Phone Sahara yeah. that actually works on this area because actually that's where the borders to Europe start. And um and yeah, like you said, development fund. So Europe gives money to countries. And in return, they have to control their migration. And by controlling migration, it means basically just catching migrants in the street and bringing them back to the borders. That's what's happening in Morocco. That's what's happening in Algeria. Also in Tunisia, sometimes it's happening that people are just caught and just driven with a bus. They have no right to ask for asylum or anything. They're just taken by a bus and left at the border and asked to leave the country. So that's one practice that's mm -hmm. happening on land borders. And then we also see it on land borders between, um, like, uh, for example, Serbia and um, Hungary and yeah. countries like this. So you cross the border, there's the police waiting for you, you get beaten up and sent back mm -hmm. the way you came. So no medical assistance, nothing. You have no right for nothing. Um, that's on the level of the... Um, land borders and then in the water it's basically we see it a lot in the Aegean Sea between Turkey and Greece mm. where um, boats arrive to the uh, Greek uh, water but then the Greek coast guards would come and push like literally they would tie the boat with a rope and pull it back to uh, Turkish water and mm. leave it there or they would wait for the Turkish uh, coast guards mm. to come and pick them up. And that's a practice that we have been documenting. We had uh, videos and calls from people who were on these boats. Mm. We had people who were um, like, sometimes the coast guards, they're not doing it also in a very friendly way. Yeah. Like they would use violence. Also like we had people who got like shot in these boats. Um, sometimes they would just destroy the engine of the boat and let the people drifting um, they would stab if it's um, um, a rubber boat they would stab the boat so it has holes and people cannot move on and they would also be left there or just pushed a bit to the Turkish waters we have documented cases where people are in Greek waters but they would just some time after they're suddenly in Turkish waters and um, this has been happening since ages and now mm -hmm. it's even more and more aggressive and more violent mm -hmm. and also with no shame or like they don't even try to hide it like Frontex yeah. is watching we have like um, boats monitoring what's going on and NGOs and they witness this and they're like yeah but that's how it is. Exactly I think also it shifted from some years now because I remember I think it was maybe two years ago there was a still a discussion about it i think there was an article where they the headline was yeah should we rescue or let it drown it was exactly about this and there was this yeah i don't know mainstream debate how we are at this point of talking about if we basically let people die bef in front of our eyes and i mean we are not at this point anymore <laughs> I mean, it is 
ja. Ja, Uff. and maybe a bit on the like Libyan Italy mm. uh, side, it's also the same practice that people, I mean, the distance is much longer, people need yeah. much more time and people spend like up to three days, five days in the water in boats mm. that are already uh, broken with no water, no food. And the rescue, for example, from Malta or Italy, it's mm. just not coming to rescue the people. And they would just give the coordinates to the Libyan coast guards and wait for them to come pick the people. Oh. And we also witnessed cases where people were pushed back to Libya, where mm. Libya is a war zone. Yeah. And uh, there is no even minimum, like people are just put in detention mm. or um, kidnapped by militias and stuff. And they get brought back to, uh, to Libya. Mm. And like the rescue authorities they just refuse to act and they just say no it's the libyan coast guards um responsibility and libyan coast guards were trained by europe yeah and like it's not even like there's no such thing as libyan coast guards yeah. it, like the thing doesn't ex or it exists but it's just a picture mm. and then it was funded and trained by the european union and yeah. frontex to train the people on how to do rescue operations. And we have seen the number of rescue operations that failed by the Libyan Coast Guards. There were like shootings, there were people falling into the water. There have been like many accidents that show that no. And also people should not be brought back to a war zone. They should yeah. be taken to the safe, the next safest harbor. And this should be in Italy or in Malta. Yeah. So also what we wanted to know is these politics that you are now describing, what impact they have on the situation here, especially in Germany? Mm -hmm. I think um, like the first impact would be that people, it's harder for them to arrive. So it's like almost mission impossible to arrive yeah. to Germany. And then with the EU regulations, so if you landed in Greece or somewhere else before, so you will probably get deported back because of Dublin Convention. Mm. So it's made more and more difficult to even arrive to Germany, for example. And then even if you arrive, you are immediately almost sent back. And that's like a way to control migration. And then the only people who are welcome, like between mm. <laughs> parentheses, is like, okay, you need to fill in certain criteria, apply for a visa, and Germany would take you because you would bring in something um but um yeah for other people it's complete like shut down in the borders and um so people have to take more risky uh, routes mm. and um like do really like extreme things in order to manage to arrive um they are more um subject to um violence abuse and um like all the th sorts of things that could happen when somebody is crossing a border and then if you have to do it in a more dangerous way so it just makes the risks uh, higher um, yeah and then you arrive and you face the German asylum system yeah, <laughs> that is already exactly. like okay why are you here in the first place and it's just a continuous struggle and yeah it affects like um, on all the levels like even the integrity of the people, their mental health, their health, their sanity. Mm. Like just after being through all these struggles, arriving to Germany thinking, oh, now I can apply for asylum and I can have a safe status. But no, it just started it at just another started. level. And yeah, people are just struggling a lot. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much yeah. for your input, really. It yeah. is so important to hear this, no? Because I think it's, yeah, it is not even anymore, but it was always a tactic of invisibilization. Also in Germany here with like the lagers being pushed to isolated places. And so, but yeah, mm. that's... Yeah, definitely. And like also with this like, corona thing now exactly. that oh that should be the focus and kind of but no like migration never stops and yeah. these movements are happening and people are 
have also so much power and are crossing the borders and arriving to Europe, but what happens to them after this arrival is just put to the exactly. side. And in Germany, like 2015, yay, refugees, welcome, and blah. And yeah. thinking, oh, okay, now it's over. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's yeah. not, and it's never over. And also, how are these refugees you welcomed some time exactly. ago? Like, where are they? How are they doing? Exactly. So it's it's a continuous, everyday thing. Thank you so much. We asked you also, like we do with everybody, to pick a song. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can introduce it and what your... Yeah, um, I picked the song uh, Somosur and it translates We Are the South or We Are South. And uh, I think I really like this song because it's it has these like... It brings up the struggles of people from the global South and... Um, And I think like this migration struggle is one of them or one major part of them. And um, and that the struggles are in different places, but somehow they also can come together. And um, we need to somehow also be in solidarity together with the different struggles. So maybe some things can change. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Tú nos dices que debemos sentarnos, pero las ideas solo pueden levantarnos, caminar, recorrer, no rendirse ni retroceder, ver, aprender como esponja absorbe, nadie sobre todos, faltan todos, suman todos, para todos, todo para nosotros, soñamos en grande que se caiga el imperio, lo gritamos algo, no queda más remedio, esto no es utopía, es alegre rebeldía del baile de los que sobran de la danza tuya mía, levantarnos para decir llevar. Caña América Latina se suba Un barro con casco con lápiz a patear el fiasco Provocar un social terremoto en este charco
With this program, we also wanted to connect what's happening to migrants at the borders in Greece, in Turkey, with what's happening here in Germany. So I'm very happy that we have Christine from Women in Exile in the studio with us to continue the conversation. We are going also to talk about the situation of women in the asylum system in Germany, in Greece, in Italy, in Malta, who have been in a lockdown for all their lives. And the purpose is to keep them invisible and make their lives miserable so they fall into depression and drive them to suicide or accept deportation back to the countries where they come from. And in this context, we want to compare it with the sit current situation of the lockdown, that now everyone is in a hula baloo about the second corona lockdown. These feelings of being deprived, controlled, limited on the on the movement, on their movement, not being able to celebrate holidays and gather and gatherings, feeling isolated and depressed, which are new for white people. This is what is normal for women in the homes. So once we have finally been able to have something to share emotions with this corona pandemic. And with this, I would like to introduce our guest and ask our first question just to understand what is the history of women in exile? How have you been organizing? And what made you to form this uh, group of women in exile? Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. Uh, my name is Christina, like you've heard, I'm from Women in Exile and Friends. Uh, Women in Exile uh, was formed in 2002 uh, by refugee women in Brandenburg who felt the need to fight for their rights. And uh, these rights were right to have uh, good housing, like abolish all the lagers, right to work and study in Germany, right to have adequate health for all, right for free choice of residence, right to have freedom of movement, and also there was fighting against racism and sexism, discrimination, and they were also fighting to stop the deportations. Since then, there was a challenge because there were just refugee women living in the isolated lagers and there was no way to come out. So it was really difficult, but with the strength to come together, they were able to be out there and connect with the society and get loud and make the society out, out of the, the lager to know what's going on inside the lager. And uh, in 2011, that's when they were able to, to gain more support, more friends, more solidarity. And the name uh, changed from women, only women in exile, but women in exile and friends. And uh, these friends are all the supporters, all the people in solidarity with these people. And that's how it was formed to be women in exile and friends. Uh, maybe just to ask you a yeah. question. Uh, was it only women from Brandenburg? Was it only women with children or women without children? How, what, was, what was it consisted of and how was it able to bring the women together? Yeah, um, normally this was uh, women in Brandenburg because normally when you ask for asylum in Germany, they post you in different regions uh, according to where you came from. And uh, the women in Brandenburg mostly comes from Cameroon and Kenya and uh, uh, other different countries. Uh, but the, the, the women who started Women in Exile uh, were were from Kenya and Cameroon, but later co-joined with other women from Afghanistan and later gained momentum in all over and were able to connect with every refugee women. And the reason was they felt like they were really discriminated or they were really denied the right as 
human being and also they were denied their right as women and they felt they need to come together and try to fight against all this discrimination and fight for the rights and to be out loud there to be heard yeah i can imagine just how much effort it was to try to be visible in circumstances which were very dehumanizing and uh, we acknowledge this power that women in exile has had over the 20 years we recognize that and we respect that and now this brings us back to our second question on the externalization of the borders and the deals with Turkey, Libya, Nigeria and maybe soon Sudan. How have these impacted on the situation of refugee here refugee women here in Germany? Yeah, it has a huge impact because uh, most of the refugee women uh, most I would say most of them traveled through the water like in the mediterranean and they were supposed like to come the uh, to come to to europe and also to connect with other families who may be anywhere in europe and this has also contributed into family separation because uh we know that uh, there are some refugees who are supposed to come some refugee women who are supposed to come and meet their spouses uh in in the other side of the water but it's it, it's not possible because of the externalization of the borders so we can see like it's actually dividing the the families and also when there's these pushbacks uh the pushbacks are really not a good idea because you are uh, it's like sending people to 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 the same thing they are running from the world the torture everything and we felt like really it's 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 the worst deal and it's a real humanitarian crisis could you maybe expound on what happens when people are pushed to this externalized borders yeah actually the results comes back to sometimes we hear of death people who didn't make it maybe they commit they committed suicide uh, or they lost hope and just did anything they felt like it's enough with this life and also when they reach to where they are being pushed back and out give an example of libya this uh, they always go through a harsh treatment and torture murder and also we know this uh organ harvesting in Libya we we've seen also in the social medias how uh immigrants who were sent back to Libya were really tortured and all their organs were being sold and also uh, there was a lot of cases for rapes modern day slavery and yeah we can say it's really not the best place to be also because we know there's no asylum system there We know these deals it's all about money. We know all these African countries are corrupt and they're all interested in the money that is getting from the Europe, but it's really not helping the refugees who are sent back. And on the other hand, we know the Europeans all they care about is the the goods from Africa. They can let them come inside Europe like freely, but they don't want to see the bodies or the human beings from there. So I would say it's a shameful corrupted go- the two sides of government which are selfish and really doesn't care about humanitarian at all. Yeah, this this thing of Africa being told it's corrupt and yet the corruption that is perpetrated by the European states is never spoken about is something that has very deep repercussions on the African people themselves. We will take a short break and we will listen to a song called the song is Jaila from Asha a Nigerian award-winning songwriter and musician and it's a very powerful song because it relates to very different circumstances we are all uh imp- we are all prisoners we are all jailed so she continues to say I am jailed but you who is also my jailer is also jailed 
this is very strong. No, 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 no. Yeah, that was a very powerful song by Asha. She says, I have fears, you have fears too. I will die, but you yourself will die too. So that makes us all equal. Thank you for the powerful song. And Christine, we continue with the second with the with the with our conversation about the the work of women in exile, which we find we are still going to say it again that we really appreciate and recognize the work you have done over the years. And this comes back to the to the question of how has your work developed 
during the 20 years that women in exile exists and how did it maybe change according to the changes in according to the changes that have been impacted by the German asylum law actually i would say the group has grown from being a small group of women to a a bigger wider group of every woman of all walks of life because uh, like i said we have all types of women i can't forget to say again there's lesbian there's queer there's trans and we call joined together now not only with the refugees women but also with our friends and supporters and mainly we've um, we've seen some development like uh, we were able to track the most isolated women in the most isolated lagers like going to visit the homes and try to break the isolation and invite these we- these women to come up and meet with other women and they get encouraged to know that they are not alone and also what they are going through so many years ago some uh, okay there are other women who went through the same thing and came out as winners so it's about a fight uh, we don't need to just stay there like defeated but we we must fight together and we must support each other and that's how we were able to bring more isolated women from the inside isolated lagers to the open and being able to educate them about their rights like um the ri- the rights they have as women and also the right they have as refugees we 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 are able also to connect with them and make them be very open on most of them have problems that like they they are afraid to share with people but once uh, they they tr- they start mingling with other women they they feel free like to talk and that way we are able to get the help uh, to to direct them to where they can get the help they need and we have discovered also there's a lot of mental uh problems like mental health problems due to isolation and this is uh the worst thing because also we've discovered like when they're in the hands they are not uh allowed to see like a psychologist or say psychiatrist and um yeah we are able to show them that this is their right and they are supposed to 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 have this uh uh yeah rights to see uh the 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 the, the psychologist or Yeah, sometimes we also found like uh, it's a big problem also to see a gynecologist or to go for women body checkups and this also we've try we've developed like to try to encourage them and work together with them to direct them where to see gynecologist and be able to know about their bodies and also we've done workshops to sh- to 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 educate them about women body Uh, so far we we came across some women who were having like cancer but they didn't know but after going for checkups they realized they had this problem and it, w- it was taken care of before yeah uh, before it, it it was worse and i would say this is a huge development because once you are able to advise the women and encourage them to 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 face it and be able to to like uh fight for their rights like body checkups and all these that's that's a huge development uh another thing is uh we are also able to to get more louder through the demos and events that we do all the time and this has also made us be able to connect with other feminists group not only in berlin but also around germany and uh yeah so far we've done a boat tour we've done a, some buses t- bus tour like three or yeah three or so bus tours and uh, uh yeah the events which we do has really connected connected us connected us with other groups that makes us 
you know, be able to fight together as feminist group and support one another and be able to fight these this also these battles which uh not only refugee women are going through but every women in the world <laughs> yeah and lastly we are able to advise the women on importance of learning the languages because once once you know the language it's easy for you to communicate because we've discovered there's a lot of discrimination in the language because once you don't understand the language uh you can go to any office and you can be you know just pushed back or like told lies we've had uh women who confessed in Eisenhutenstadt like they went to see the gynecologist there and because of the language communication there was a problem and they ended up with their uterus being removed because they were told you need to remove the uterus and they said like the problem of the language made them accept these things because they thought they were really sick only to discover that it's like it's a game which was going there like to make the women remove their uterus because they didn't want them to give birth and we later realized like we need to let these women at least learn a little language to understand what's going on because you understand when they are in the lagers it's not possible to get a dormitory so it's like it's good to have a little bit of knowledge on communication then you you don't have to go through th- some problems that they go through yeah that's that's really really like a lot of work and when you talk about women having to make d- d- decisions about their bodies and they just don't know what decisions they are making those are those are very serious crimes that the doctors are taking the topic of women's wombs being taken off has also been a big topic that people don't talk about how we are denied the right to decide whether we want to have children or not to have children is something that is completely taken away from us one from because of the violence of the language and the racism of the doctors this is just exactly what you have projected uh, also to add on our development i don't want to forget about like all the all the supporters we've gained because through these supporters and friends and everybody who feels like the work of women in exile is is out there uh, i mean uh, the work of women in exile is seen out there and they give us support in donation or what whenever we need to do a demo we see a huge support of people yeah and normally this is a huge development and i wouldn't like to not to mention it because it's an achievement when you have a lot of supporters and um recently we launched our magazine and it was uh, a huge development and uh, it was a success and also uh before the lockdown we managed to have our own space just through the supporters the donors and the donation that we get from the donors so we can't forget that all our supporters are very important and we love all of them and we are happy to work with them and we are looking forward to work in the future with them we know like uh, our our main goal of good housing has not been met but we keep on the fire yeah that's 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 great now we go back to this day of the 25th of november i saw that you had made a st- statement against a journalist the rbb journalist marie stumpf and uh, it, it struck me why someone would on the this particular day the day against violence on women a journalist would do exactly the same with her pen and paper she would just do the same violate the rights of women can you just expound a bit on what happened on this day first i want to say it's a big shame to see a woman violating the you know this this same fight that we are fighting for because she was supposed as a woman she was supposed to support this fight but we think like she went ahead and got out of the the out of the contact and 
I would say like she was trying to steal the moment and it was all about her because uh, we realized like before the demo started, um, we gave her the chance to do the interview, but I, I felt we I felt like it's not uh, about the reporter, it's about what work we are there to do. And I think also stopping the demo, the demo from starting and uh, because she's doing her interview was not uh, uh, a good idea because normally he, she can do uh, her interviews elsewhere, like away from the demo. But anyway, on this day, we got uh, yeah some disappointed some disappointments from the beginning because we were pushed away by the police. Uh, as we registered the demo, we were supposed to be like 50 meters from the gate. But when we arrived there, they wanted us to be 200 meters from the gate where nobody could hear us, where nobody could see us, only the trees were around. But finally, we were able to, to, to fight for our right and we were able to go like 50 meters from the gate. And... This is where we saw like um, Marie w Marie Stump was really trying to steal the show because after the interview, she went ahead to speak with the police and laughing with them. And later she was allowed to go inside the lager and do some interviews without our our knowledge. Yeah, she went to talk with the Auslander beholder and the yeah. wrong people. Yeah, at this time she she stopped being a reporter and maybe she became an investigator because she went inside to investigate what was happening. Because normally why we went to Eisen is because we had, we had complaints about sexu sexual abuse to women and also to women, uh, to lesbian women. And this is the, the, the 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 problem that we had gone there to face because we wanted justice for the rape uh, for the rape cases that happened there to be addressed because it seemed like it was just ignored and from the Eisenhuttenstadt officials it looked like uh, the women are just like that there it's their fault and when Marie went inside the lager she came back with the same report like the officials in inside the lager and uh, she wrote like oh it was the women's fault that they did a party with the with the men but the party was for everybody not only for the men so we had a question to marie stamp like has she ever lived in a place where she's locked down and all you see is some strangers or people who are in the same problems like you and you are all in a position not to help each other. And for this case, does it mean like being a lesbian, you are not supposed to mingle or talk with other people? And does she justify the rape because somebody went to party with the men? As a woman, it's a shameful thing for her to say and to support and to this uh, victim blaming and uh, we think it's, it's, it's really disgusting to see a woman reporting, reporting such a thing on a women's day against violence. I will uh, say again, it is disgusting, just the way you have said it. Yeah, this uh, uh, thing about the journalist is really, really, really annoying. What other challenges are you facing as a refugee women's group? Normally we know very well every group which is successful normally has also criticized us and uh, Marie is one of them I should say so because out there what she did was like to criticize our work and also we've gone a lot of other challenges like uh, we've been for a long time trying to break the harsh asylum system laws but uh, it's been a huge challenge and we keep on fighting about it also we didn't uh, acquire our goal of abolishing all laggers and uh, campaigning for better housing for 
mostly women and children. But we keep fighting until this really will come into a reality. Yeah, um, mainly those are the challenges that we felt like we still, uh, for all these years, the 20 years we've been fighting for these two main things, but uh, it's been a challenge, uh, but we keep on fighting about it. Yeah, we have no option. We have to keep fighting. Thank you very much for being with us in the studio and for sharing your predicaments, your success, your challenges, your victories with us. We are still going to say again, we are very proud of you. We know the work that you do is very important. And with that, we will end our, our, our part with the song from Maretha Franklin, Respect, because respect is all that we are asking for. Thank you. Thank you again, Serene and Christine, for both of your important inputs and for being here with us today. So this is the end of our 10th program and we will take a short break for the end of the year, but we will come back. So thank you, Serene, for talking about the policies and practices also that the EU with Germany as one of the main actors in it is doing to externalize the borders and to further and further push migrants out and the deals connected to it. And then also thank you very much, Christine, for talking about how these policies influence the situation here and how the isolation continues in Germany. Also, I think, Christine, you made very clear the importance of self-organizing when you talk about the work that Women in Exile does in order to fight against this horrible system, the European and also the German asylum system. So, yes, let's talk a bit more about the self-organizing. Maybe you want to start, Jennifer? Yeah, yeah maybe uh, with the reflection of what Christine and uh, Serin have given us, it. It takes me back to the time of the Oranian Platz movement and the need that there was that there was to start a self-organized uh, refugee protest. And in this time, we were also still fighting for the same things. Also, the residence fleet, the voucher system, the the right to work permit, the isolation, 
right to study the German language, freedom of movement generally. Yeah. And these were some of the things that were on the forefront in the time of Oplatz. And it was not only fighting for these things that were dehumanizing factor in the asylum pro- uh, process, which affects all people applying for asylum. The most important part is that it brought the visibility of the black people in Germany. Uh, we see that uh, before that there was this feeling that black people were only supposed to be hidden somewhere. We were like a wound that was supposed to be covered somewhere not visible but coming up into coming to the a, a place like in a very central place in Kreuzberg Berlin and protesting from that point this soreness of our blackness was broken so people began to see a different perspective we 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 got over that soreness for that was so important and um out of this self organization from Oranian Platz movement then they came up so much more self-organized groups as a result of this like we are here in this space today no? exactly yeah like we are here in this space today we are born free uh, the people also are very engaged in the times of Orion Platz and this is so powerful to see how many forces have come out of a movement and we also need to acknowledge that also before us there were people who were protesting like the voice and the caravane exactly. who we need to acknowledge the work they have done over the years and uh, the continue it is a continuation to protest exactly and i think also what both Serene and Christine said that this isolation is such a powerful practice to do no? and yeah and i think also i would focus again on this corona times that now this isolation was like the corona pandemic was like the perfect excuse to keep this lockdown to keep this isolation with a legitimation of like a law of, i don't know like uh, yeah the have the official legitimation for it and i want to yeah mention again the lager reports that have been going on since a long time that is like exactly exposed all of this brutality and this inhumanity when it is um yeah when germany claims to be this human rights nation like they say before no this is a cornerstone of german foreign policy how we said in the introduction but to expose this absolute inhumanity that the the lager system is that the asylum system is that the pushbacks and the deportations are especially during this corona time i mean they haven't they have been deporting the whole time they ha- yeah yeah so they're using these times of uh, uh, isolation to facilitate the deportations they have become so rampant yes. and it's in this uh, situation of lockdown where people are not even aware of what is happening that they have affected the act of deportation and then it brings now to the to the discussion of what happened in the time of Oranian Platz and how where we are now mm. and how germany is forming alliances maybe you could mention these alliances that we have yeah sedin said a lot no we were talking a lot about this dirty deals the that germany is doing is trying to do and did this creation of this trust fund and basically this worked also very well during the corona pandemic because these alliances mean that the it is easier to deport i mean they get money the countries get money and then they help with this i don't know issuing the papers that are needed for deportation keeping basically migrants from coming to the eu and therefore to germany and yeah germany is very well in doing this no they have been they are talking to a lot of countries they have made deals with a lot of countries and we asked ourselves what our role would be in it what we can do because they are forming alliances so yeah we have to really up our game now with the new situation of Turkey pulling out of the Istanbul convention and this makes it uh, more difficult for us because the Istanbul convention was the only convention that uh, this has been the only hope for women to get protection from gender based violence but what we are 
we are seeing is not only the pulling out from the convention, but also Germany has found a way to reintroduce the residence flicht mm. and the voucher system, which were things we were so loud, uh, we we've had fought for and ch- managed to change. What we have to do now, we just can't only be self-organized, but we have to go to the next level of also forming alliances with other countries across and beyond borders. Exactly. So with this, we come to the end of our last program for this year. And the next year, we will continue with more programs about the topics that we just talked about and focus more. So you are listening to the We Are Born Free Empowerment Radio. We are very happy to be recording here and to have this space. And you can listen to the We Are Born Free Empowerment Radio on 88.4 in Berlin and and on 90.7 in Potsdam. You've been listening to EBS Radio. We are broadcasting from We Are Born Free Empowerment Radio in Berlin. EVS Radio is a podcast series on the migrant women experience brought to you by EVS, the international women's space. We are a feminist, anti-racist group of migrant women, refugee women, and women without this experience. EVS Radio is a continuation of our work documenting the lives and stories of refugee and migrant women living in Germany. Visit our website, iwspace.de, to find out more about our work and subscribe to our newsletter. A complete transcript and a German translation of today's episode will also be available there soon.